Hey, everybody, Alan Arnett with another special edition of the podcast on alanarnett.com. I am speaking with Lucas Frutenbach from Everest Base Camp. It's currently uh, Tuesday morning around 6.45 on Tuesday, May 18th. Uh, hey, Lucas, how you doing, buddy? Hey, good morning. All good. It's snowing outside. Any, any typhoons coming? <laughs> it looks like, but... Uh, hopefully it's not getting too bad. There are a lot of people up on the mountain, so we hope it's not getting really bad. Yeah, no, I think there's a there's a lot of people at camp too right now. Hopefully there's nobody at the South Pole, but uh, you know we'll you know we all wish them all the best. Hey, speaking of just a general uh, wishing everybody the best, I think it's appropriate to start this uh, conversation with acknowledging the uh, COVID situation in um, in uh, India. And I just heard on the news just ten minutes ago that the uh, the, the new case rate has gone down by 70% in Mumbai. So maybe, you know, maybe they've crossed the peak of some kind. But uh, obviously throughout Nepal, uh, it's just a tragic situation uh, going on right now. Hey, listen, I, just before we were starting to talk, um, you were coughing a little bit. So what is that cough? It's not COVID. <laughs> I'm testing every day. <laughs> it's a kumbu cough from our rotation. <laughs> but I'm totally fine. <laughs> The good old kumbu cough. Anybody who's been there recognizes that thing. It's just annoyingly yeah. crazy. Uh, so how's the so your overall team? Obviously, the the big news that you uh, came out with last Friday was that you chose to cancel your entire expedition. Uh, the Chinese had done it last um, whatever a few days earlier. Um, you know this is not unprecedented. Russell Bryce did it in 2012 when uh, you know he was fearing that uh, Serac, which eventually did collapse a little bit in 2014, killing 14 uh, Sherpas in the icefall. So. What you've done in canceling a uh, Everest expedition and mid expedition is not unheard of, but um, this year uh, is just a it's just an odd year all the way around. So, how's the health of your overall team right now? Members, staff, cooks, Sherpas. Uh, everyone is okay so far. We have uh, two people in hospital in in Kathmandu. At least one one Sherpa in a hospital in Kathmandu, but he's in a good condition, so he's not in a life threatening condition. And we have one member from the U.S. Uh, who was tested positive, who is in, he's non-symptomatic, but he's in hotel quarantine in Kathmandu. So, and most of the clients already flew out as medical evacuations, even though they are not medical emergencies, but that's the only way to get out of the Kumbu at the moment. So it's not possible to track out because it's all closed. The lodges are closed. Porters are not allowed to come into base camp. Uh, so at the moment, the only way to get out is a medical helicopter evacuation. And, and how about your Sherpas? Uh, do you have any Sherpas that um, have tested positive? Yes, we have a Sherpa tested positive who is in, in the hospital in Kathmandu oh. now. Okay. Yes. And uh, I think we have two more Sherpas that we tested positive. So that was a PCR test in Kathmandu in the hospital. And we have two more Sherpas that we tested positive uh, with a rapid uh, test kit that we brought and they are here in quarantine in, in, in single tents, but they are non-symptomatic. So we're going to come back to uh, actually quantifying how many Sherpas, how many members. And, and, and what I want to do, what I want to do, Lucas, is I want to kind of walk through the timeline because, um, you know, we I interviewed you back on April 15th, so about a month ago, about four weeks ago, and you were talking about, you know, the quarantine and the bubble and um, bringing, you know, I thought you said thousands of kits 
And then I thought, no, yeah. he couldn't have said thousands. It had to be hundreds. No, I said thousands. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. There you go. And, um, and, you know, and I spoke to other operators too, including, you know, the ones who chose not to come and others that chose to come. And I just thought that your overall plan was, you know, was very well thought out and yet you still got cases and you still made this very, very difficult decision to cancel. So let's walk through the timeline. So th th give us a, just a brief update or overview of, of how you approach going to Everest this season. We'll talk about whether you should or shouldn't at the very end, but let's in back, you know, back in February and January, when you were planning this, what, how did, what, how did you approach it? Yes. Back in February, the situation in Nepal was looking pretty good. The tourism of minister, uh, the, the, the department of tourism was opening the country for the expeditions. Uh, cases have been at 70 per day. So uh, it, it, and they implemented rules to make it even safer. Like you have to stay in a hotel quarantine in, in Kathmandu when you arrive, you have to do a PCR test in Kathmandu when you arrive. And only then you are allowed to, to enter the Kumbu Valley. So basically everyone entering the Kumbu Valley should have been PCR tested and quarantined in Kathmandu, which seemed okay for us. And then we had additional uh, safety precautions like, uh, we took our team doctor with several thousand test kits uh, and we said, so we are testing the whole, we are moving as a, as an isolated team and we are testing the whole team on the way into the Kumbu and then in base camp all the time. Uh, we have very strict hygiene protocols. We have the camp really closed. No Sherpa is allowed to leave the camp except for climbing up the mountain with us. Uh, and everyone was, strictly following this. Uh, no member was allowed to leave the camp or to leave for whatever parties going on here in base camp. We did not go down to Namche or, or any of the other lower places before the summit push. Uh, we, we could not deny this, uh, like we could not close members into our camps. If, if we had members that wanted to go down, we said, you can go down to Namche, you come back, you do a test, you are 48 hours quarantined in your tent and then you can be back in the team, but no one chose to do this. So nobody was leaving our camp except for doing rotations on the mountains. Did, um, did you require vaccines uh, of your members before they uh, went to Nepal? No, we did not require them, but we had about 80% of our members uh, vaccinated. For myself, for example, I live in Austria. I was not able to get a vaccine before the trip. I will be able to get a vaccine in July or August, but that's not my mistake. I, right. I would love to get one, but I can't get one. Yeah, and that was the case uh, for a lot of people. What about the Sherpas? Did any of the Sherpas have vaccines? Same for the Sherpas. Same yeah. for the Sherpas. We tried to get vaccination for them. We could not in Nepal. Uh, now we tried to get vaccination for them for the Karakoram season, and we, we could find a way to get them vaccinated before Karakoram, but now we cancel Karakoram as well because of the development yeah. in, in Pakistan. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk so, about that. It's not possible to, to, to vaccinate our Sherpas before the trip. I would have done it, of course, but I couldn't. It was just not possible. And what, how much time did you actually spend in Kathmandu? I know you try to minimize that. Yeah, the, the minimum time that we had to because of the quarantine, and that was, I think, three hotel nights after the PCR test. Okay. And then, uh, and then where did you acclimatize? On Lobiche or Island Peak? Yeah, we had one. We, we were splitting up the two teams. One team was moving to, uh, to Lobuche. 
and climbing Lobochen, then going straight to base camp. And the other team <laughs> with me, we were flying to uh, Merabik. We were totally alone there. We, we had our lodge alone. Same for the Lubuche team, lodge alone. Uh, and then climbing uh, Merabik and, and going, flying back in, into base camp. Before we did that, we tested everyone again, uh, whole stuff, every Sherpa. And then we, in regular, it's a lot that's uh, 20 members, four guides, uh, 28 Sherpas, 10 kitchen stuff every morning testing. And with this, together with keeping our camp closed, we were thinking that this could be a safe way or a way to reduce risk to get infection into the camp. And when we arrived from Mera Beach, we arrived later in camp, we already heard about the first cases in base camp, not in our team, our team was clean, uh, but it's had the first getting more and more cases in base camp then the HRIRA in base camp was confirming that there have been 30 people evacuated positive uh, then we had one major operator confirming how many cases they had in the team. And then I started to worry because if it, it looks like look outbreak going on, and this was becoming a, a bigger issue in Basecom. It's not a single case. Yet. It's, it's, it looked like they're starting a bigger outbreak. And at the same time, you hear the news from the Kumbu Valley, from tracking groups, that there are more and more uh, cases and tracking groups with 80 or 90% of the team members tested positive in the Kunde, Kunde hospital, doctor confirmed. Then we heard from the pilots how many sick people they are flying out of base camp that are afterwards tested positive in Kathmandu from all different teams. It's, it's not one bad team that did all this, it's all base camp. And I, I think I, we can't blame one single team for this. Uh, but I'm very sure if team their safety rules, like keeping really isolated, then maybe the outbreak would have been not that fast and not that big. Uh, but one major issue was that we talked about with our team doctor from the beginning, even in Austria already. What is in the Kumbu Icefall? You have spots in the Kumbu Icefall before the ladders, before the big steep parts, where many people stand close to each other, heavy breathing, and this is, and nobody's wearing a mask, and you can't keep distance. So these are spots where you possibly could get infected, even though you do everything you can in base camp to avoid an infection. In the Kumbu Icefall, you can't. It's a certain amount of risk. And we had members that had this concern coming to me at the beginning of the expedition in base camp. Lucas, we are doing everything right here in camp, but what is in the Kumbu Icefall? And the only thing I could tell them is, yeah, that's the, the last piece of risk we have to take because there's no other way. We can't fly up to camp too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so just so our, our viewers and, and listeners understand, you're using uh, Everest ER Wi-Fi link, and it's a miracle that we even have a good connection, but you're cutting out just a little bit every now and then. So uh, okay. people, uh, please, uh, please uh, be patient with us here. So uh, let me just summarize real quickly here. So you had roughly, you know, over 50 uh, members and staff 
you were testing on a on a virtually da daily basis. Um, you were you based you closed in camp. You restricted anybody. You had a zero um, visitor policy. You uh, yes. did you did not allow your members to, or they chose not to go back down valley and touch grass. You know, yeah. as uh, as the saying goes. And your Sherpas did not go back to their home village. Well, no, as no. as is the custom, and many Sherpas, I know many Sherpas this year did that from other teams. So yeah. you did your at the best you could to keep it contained at base camp. And now you just addressed going through the Kumbu Icefall. Talk a little bit about what protocol you took at camp two. And I think you went up and tagged <laughs> camp three. But, uh, you know, so what did you do at camp two at advanced base camp where it's a little more compressed? Yeah, maybe just one more thing to the Sherpas. Our Sherpas are from Makalu. So ah. they, it wouldn't be possible to, to, for them to go home, but they would have not been allowed to go home. The Sherpas were very strict following our protocols, maybe even more than our members. And uh, the other thing is we, we even we, we tested our LO when he was coming here, visiting us in base camp for 30 the minutes. liaison officer. Uh, yes. Uh, he, he was not allowed to enter our camp. He was very surprised about this. And then well, why we are doing this? And, and we explained him that we have COVID here in the whole base camp. So we try to keep us safe. So you have to be tested before you can enter our camp. And then he understood and he agreed. He was tested, came in, a, in our camp for lunch and then left again for Kathmandu. That's how the development with the LOs changed <laughs> as we could hear. So no, but that's the other thing. In the ice fall, there is no way to avoid uh, yeah. yeah, contact, at least you're close to other people. It's, it's not, there's no way, no workaround. Yeah, you're except just really, flying up there. Yeah. Yes. So talk about uh, camp two. Yeah. In camp two, we had our camp closed as, as same as, 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 <laughs> as in base camp. So no visitors no exchange with other teams. Uh, if we had contact with other teams, then it was only on the satellite phone, but uh, no physical contact. Uh, same, we, we tested. And, uh, and the same for Camp 3. Uh, we, we only touched Camp 3. Some of our members slept in Camp 3, uh, but we had our own spot. Like, yeah, what you can do, <laughs> but as far away from other teams, but it is... It is impossible to, to stay totally isolated in the high camps. It's just not manageable. So again, a summary, how many members um, tested COVID, tested positive for COVID over, you know, up until the time they left? How many members? Yeah. When we, <coughs> with the flash team, did our first rotation. So we arrived from Merapik perfectly acclimatized because we did eight weeks hypoxic tent at home. We climbed Merapik very quickly. We didn't summit 200 meters below the summit. We had to turn back because of a snowstorm. Uh, but then came here, had two rest days, and every day tested, all team negative. Uh, and then we did our first rotation uh, to camp, touch camp three. And we came down, and on the way down, uh, we had contact with a large Indian team. <coughs> in the ice fall in waiting spots or waiting zones. <coughs> Sorry. No, I, I feel for you. <laughs> and then uh, one American member <coughs> felt a little bit sick, but more like 
a flu. We tested the whole team again. He was <coughs> tested positive. We did a second test because it's an antigen, a rapid antigen test, and they have, they can have 40% wrong positive results. So we did a second test, <coughs> again positive, and that was it. We called insurance and he was helicoptered to Kathmandu. Even so, he was non-symptomatic for COVID symptoms. Uh, in the hospital in Kathmandu, <coughs> they did a PCR test and it was confirmed positive. They kept him for one night and then let him go to a hotel quarantine. And that's where he still is to wait for a negative test so that he can fly out of the country. And that is so far the first and only member tested positive in our team. So of your 20 members, only one. Yes. One. And, and go through the kind of the same logic with your Sherpas. How many, you had 28 Sherpas, you said? And also the, yes. your cook staff of roughly six or seven, eight and, um, in the, and of the Sherpas. Up. Yeah. So how many of those tested positive through the time? <laughs> On the next day, we had a Sherpa with symptoms, <laughs> not feeling good. So we tested again, all the Sherpas through, and we found three Sherpas tested positive with the quick, with the antigen quick test. One of them, became symptomatic the next day. He was not feeling good. We, he, they were immediately isolated and, and uh, <coughs> quarantined and treated by the team doctor, of course. Uh, and the next day he was symptomatic, not in a bad condition, but he was not feeling good. He had fever coughing. So we immediately called a helicopter to send him to Kathmandu to a hospital. Uh, Positive test was confirmed <coughs> with a PCR test in Kathmandu. Uh, one of the other Sherpas, the positive test from base camp was not confirmed in Kathmandu. And then we had two more Sherpas the next day that we tested positive, uh, non-symptomatic. They are now after three or four days with another test negative again. So uh, I hear the rumors that we cancel our expedition because we had not, not enough Sherpas, because all of our Sherpas got sick with COVID, uh, I can tell you it's rumors, it's absolutely not true. We had eight, 28 Sherpas and we had still enough Sherpas to go to a summit push. Uh, we were literally ready for the summit push, packing, wearing our shoes. And yeah, yeah, let's, morning, yeah, yeah let's, oh, sorry. Let's go. Let's go to that. So, also, I believe you did have one guide. Also, that tested positive of your four guides. We had we had four guides, and yes, two days ago, uh, one of the guys developed symptoms like coughing, and uh, we tested him negative. And next day, he got fe in the night. He got fever, and we tested him, and he was positive with the rapid test. We don't know what it is, so we sent him out to a hospital in Kathmandu and still waiting for the uh, PCR result. So, okay, so you have um, a total of, let's say, 60 people in total at, at base camp from the cook staff and the Sherpas and members, everybody. And of the 60 people, you had three Sherpas, uh, one member, and one guide. So you had five people. that and two one more Sherpas the next okay. day I told you before. Yeah, so you so had seven, okay. Five. Seven, yes. So about 10%. So, okay. So you're all acclimatized. I mean, and, and some of these, some of these tested positive after you made the decision last Friday. So, yes, right. So you were approaching Friday 
and you were seeing Basecamp, and by your own words on social media and email and things you've told me and other people like the New York Times is that there was a lot of, we don't need to go into the details on this, but there was a lot of partying going on at Basecamp, a lot of commingling, uh, a lot of people that just simply just did not uh, follow any type of protocol. So you were observing all of this. You were seeing a couple of people, Sherpas, this member, um, starting to get showing, test, testing positive, not showing symptoms, but testing positive. What was the, what pushed you and your doctor over the edge to say, you know, I think we're going to make this incredibly hard decision to cancel the expedition. What was it that pushed you over the edge? Yeah, everything was set up for the summit push. Yeah, you already acclimatized too. Everybody was ready. Everything ready. Oxygen and South Coil, everything ready. Uh, People were packing their stuff for the summit push. And then in the morning, I got up at six o'clock. I went over to the dining tent and the team doctor and, and one of the other guides, Rupert, were sitting there with very concerned faces. And I had the same concerned face because we all did not sleep for two nights. And then uh, we were talking about what's happening if someone who is tested positive now, because our plan was before we go up again, a, a test for all team. So we know we are leaving, uh, sorry, in the positive, we, we are leaving the, the camp tested negative. So what happens if we, we are tested negative, someone gets symptomatic in two or three days in camp three or in camp four. Uh, we have seen how fast this can go from being well to being in a condition where you can't move anymore, even yeah. at low level, yeah. at sea level, at high altitude, this is even worse. And, and, it, co- and it can go even, even faster. So if this is happening, uh, with some of our members or Sherpas, this could mean, it doesn't have to, but it could mean that this person is dying up there. It is a high risk at least. Uh, so, and then we have two points. We have a legal point, a legal side. If we know we have an outbreak in base camp of COVID, and we know there is at least a minimum amount of risk that a person could be infected, even tested negative when we leave camp, but it could still be positive the next day. Uh, And we are aware of this, we as an operator and the team doctors and doctor, and we are still sending people up with this risk. And if this happens, the worst case scenario, we would be fully liable as an operator and the doctor would lose her license for sure. And then we said, okay, this is a no brainer, number one. Number two, we have people like me, or our, some of the clients, I would take the risk to get infected up there, just for the climbing. I would take the risk. I'm not afraid of getting COVID in, in camp two or camp three, but it's not about me. It's about the Sherpa that is joining me. It's about the Sherpas that, that are joining the clients. And I can take the risk for them because they are doing this as a job for money, not to reach the summit and not, uh, for any other reason, they are doing this to get to get paid. That's that's yeah. a job. So even if a client is deciding, yes, I take the risk for me, but you are also taking the risk for your Sherpa. And if the Sherpa gets sick up there, uh, it's the same problem. He has a risk to die. And just because of, of, of trying to summit, knowing that there's a COVID outbreak. Uh, so that's the other side, it's a, a moral question. Do I want this? 
do I want to risk to put the, the life of a Sherpa at risk just for me to summit? And then it's another no-brainer. And we have two no-brainers, and that was the decision for all of us. All the guides, the team doctor and me, and the, the guy that tested positive at this time was negative. He was healthy and, and he didn't know anything about that. Two days later, he was tested positive. Uh, we said, no, it's totally clear. We can't do this. Even though we get a shitstorm from maybe clients, we get a shitstorm from other operators, we get a shitstorm from the Department of Tourism. But so good. We took our decision and we have to live with it. And if something happens up there with all, just one single case in all the other teams, we know we did the right thing and we can sleep well. <laughs> and, so how did you... So how did you how did you uh, announce it? Did you pull all the members and the Sherpas and everybody together and just uh, yeah. go through this ex explanation? And how did they how did you how did they all how did the Sherpas react and how did the members react? The thing was we, we didn't plan to decide this at yeah. this moment. <laughs> no, so obviously not. The decision, the decision developed. Uh, so, but then it was clear, we, and it was breakfast time. So, so we took the decision before breakfast. We went in the dining tent, it was breakfast. And yeah, and then we announced the decision. We announced the reasons why and how we came to this decision. And at the end that uh, it is the only logical decision you can take in this situation. And the interesting part was, was that most of the people immediately understood and maybe even were thinking that this could come one day because we have been talking about the government maybe shutting down the season or other op operators canceling and i was waiting for two weeks for another operator to cancel i was literally <laughs> waiting yeah. for it so that i can have a reason to do the same but it didn't come <laughs> so yeah i had to do it and most of the clients immediately understood and, and supported this decision and we started to, to find ways to get them out of base camp. Uh, then we went to the Sherpas and at the beginning, the Sherpas did not, they have not been happy, not at all. Uh, they wanted to climb. Uh, they were fearing that they don't get paid this season. That's the first thing I told them, you get your full payment. Uh, no worries. Uh, there's no reason why you shouldn't get your payment. It's a pandemic. It's, it's not your mistake. Uh, and even so, there are Sherpas tested positive. It's not your mistake. It's not you we can blame. You did everything right. You stayed in our bubble. bubble. But if you get infected in the Kumbu icefall, in food, or whatever reason, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. We don't know how it came into our team, but I know that it was or is in any team in base camp, in anyone. Yeah. So there was the outbreak must have been so massive that it's impossible not to get to get it into the team. And even there are teams that, that say, no, we don't have COVID, they don't test. I, I know of two other teams that are testing. Uh, so that's uh, Climbing the Seven Summits and, and IMG. I am not aware of other teams testing. Uh, and that's uh, an important point. I can not say that I'm COVID free if I'm not testing because most of the COVID cases we know are non-symptomatic. Also here, uh, we could see at the, at the two Sherpas, non-symptomatic. Uh, but if I don't test, I, I have no idea what's going on in my, in my team. And I hear, I hear from other teams that have been testing and then stopped testing because they had too many cases. 
that's not a way to deal with the situation. Uh, but back to our team, everybody uh, agreed to this to the decision. We had some climbers who wanted to to stay in base camp and we find a solution to them so that they can climb with another team. Uh, so also they are happy now with with what's what's the final outcome because they they took the decision they want to take the risk. They want to take the the moral responsibility and stay and climb with another team. And they are free people. So of course they can do, they, they are grownups. They can do whatever they want. Uh, but all the rest of the team is, is, is either in Kathmandu or on the way to Kathmandu. And I'm staying here waiting. And what, um, and, how will they, how will they get back home with the airport closed? Are you going to take advantage of these charter flights going to the Middle East and exactly. Spain and elsewhere? Yes. Okay. Yes, these repatriation charter flights, they are starting now. And the first one was on the 17th. The next one is on the 22nd from Qatar. And uh, they are filling up quickly, of course, because there are many people waiting. But there is a way to get out of, of Kathmandu. Yeah, you may have heard that the uh, the Spanish embassy or Spain through the Spanish embassy in, in Kathmandu basically said, you know, it, all Spanish citizens um, are asked, requested to get on the charter flight on Thursday and go back to uh, to Spain, including poor Carlos at 82 years old on Dalagiri. Yeah. I mean, I just, uh, heartbreaks for him. So, um, so you're going to stay there until, you know, camp gets broken down. And then I, what, how, without any porters, I mean, I guess the, the big old M1 helicopter is going to come in and take everything away. <laughs> so we, we have to leave, most of the stuff and store it in, in Gorakshep. Okay. And uh, until the situation is, is getting better and we can get borders and, and yaks in. But at the moment, it's it's not possible. So I will stay here a couple of more days uh, until everything is cleared here. And maybe one more word to the overall development in base camp. You, you get now more and more confirmations from helicopter pilots, Florence Company, uh, from HRA doctors, from doctors in, in hospitals in Kathmandu, uh, how many people are evacuated positive from base camp. So we are talking not about 10, 20, 50, we are talking about 150. And we are talking about people evacuated uh, from camp two with COVID after the first summit wave. Uh, we are talking about people uh, in one team, uh, people sick in base camp, so sick that even with a six liter flow rate on oxygen, uh, almost couldn't survive, have been evacuated to, to Kathmandu Hospital intensive care and then tested positive PCR. Uh, that's one of our neighboring teams. Uh, and you hear more and more of these stories. So you can't... I, it's impossible for me and, and unbelievable for me that people still ignore this risk. It is an outbreak here and it's clear and it is a risk with this situation to go up for yourself or to send people up and be responsible for the people that you send up. You simply can't do this. Lucas, why do you Legally think... Legally and morally. Lucas, why do you think that the Nepal Ministry of Tourism has uh, maintained a steadfast denial that there's any COVID at Everest Base Camp? When you say this is, you have you have now tripled 
what I was estimating at being 50 COVID evacuations. You're saying it could be, it was 150, including people from camp too. That is, you have just taken this whole uh, pandemic to a new level at Everest Space Camp with, with those numbers in that description. Uh, why do you think the ministry has uh, continued to deny it? Public relations? For me, there's only one I don't know if the, the connected, yeah. For me, it's only one explanation. Uh, if they admit big outbreak in this, would uh, have to close the season to end the season? Because if I know you have, if I have a, a closed system with 1,500 people with a big COVID cluster, the only responsible thing I can do is shut this down immediately. <laughs> So if they do this, they have to extend the permit fees for a couple of more years or maybe only one year, but they would lose a lot of money. And so just like they did me, in 2014. I yeah, I don't want to blame anyone in the government. I'm very careful with this, uh, but it is obvious that there's an outbreak here. Doctors confirm, insurances confirm, helicopter pilots confirm, expedition leaders confirm. Everybody confirms, everybody can see. You can see the patients in the hospital in Kathmandu. You can go there and interview them. You can see their PCR tests. Yes, they are real. Uh, and then still denying and saying, I'm not aware of any official confirmed cases in base camp. This is at least strange. Agreed. Uh, let's, um, I'm you know, very respectful of your time and really appreciate you um, pushing through this. Uh, I want to ask uh, just a handful more questions. Um, you know, there's a, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of press, a lot of uh, pressure to, about oxygen, oxygen bottles uh, at the hospitals. Uh, and you said you had, uh, you know, you had taken all your oxygen bottles for the summit push to the South coal. What are your plans with those oxygen bottles? Uh, we swept with another operator so they can use our oxygen bottles. Great. And yeah, there, there is the, the call for operators to donate their oxygen equipment. And it has, it has also two sides. Uh, one side is the technical part. <coughs> it's uh, an intensive care COVID patient needs a flow rate of 10 to 15 liters a minute. Uh, our systems are not able to, to deliver this. Uh, if it's a real intensive care patient, they may even need a, a closed breathing system. So uh, the oxygen from the cylinders that we use wouldn't be of any use for this. So in the hospitals, in intensive care, you can't use our cylinders. Even the regulators wouldn't fit. Uh, what you could do is use them in home care, for example, for patients that are not in a that bad uh, condition. Uh, they could use some oxygen on a flow rate of two liters or three liters. So you could give them a couple of hours of oxygen, but you would not save lives with this. Uh, this is one point. The other point is if you call operators to donate their oxygen equipment, one uh, cylinder is $500. You use them for about 20 years. Uh, it's a big investment for an operator. Uh, I think the expedition operators here, locally and Western, 
are not in a position after one and five, 1.5 years without any revenue, in a position to just donate 1,000 cylinders, like half a million dollar, just for nothing. So if if the, the government is calling us to, to give our oxygen equipment because they think they could use it. What I think, and all the others agree, they can't use it for medical purposes, then uh, they should give a compensation for this at least because uh, it's, it's an investment that people have done with this equipment. Yeah, this, is a, this is a controversial subject. I was speaking with uh, Dawa Stephen Sherpa um, of Asian Trekking. And as you know, he, um, he was uh, um, the top out partner um, uh, for Ted before he yeah. passed away. And, uh, and Dawa was making the point that um, some similar points to what you just made. And, uh, but he also made the point that the issue around the oxygen is not the cylinders, it's the generation of oxygen in that there's, a, there's a not enough capacity within Nepal or even Northern India to truck it in to, in order to have sufficient quantity of content. So it's not the cylinders. So in, in, to your point, it's, it's a two-part problem. You know, one is that you have to have the cylinders and you got to have the proper cylinders, the proper regulator, the proper uh, delivery device. And secondly, you have to have the proper, you have to have oxygen and it's got to yeah, be, yeah. it's got to be created. That's absolutely true. And also the logistics, like bringing down the cylinders from the mountain, uh, carrying them down, bringing them down in the Kathmandu Valley, bringing them to a, a refilling plant, refill them, service them, and then distribute them on the country. This would take weeks. Now, if we all, operators, climbers, other companies, people from around the world, if we donate money to buy oxygen, fit uh, the, the right oxygen equipment for medical purposes, buy oxygen equipment, for example, in China, where it's available, getting it into the country by air freight, it would take days. And it's a solution for the problem. This, uh, our oxygen equipment on the mountain from the operators, this is not a solution to the problem. That's a, a topic that's good in the media, but it's not a solution to the problem. Let's, um, let's, I've got a couple more things. Um, one is that you alluded to it earlier that you've had to cancel your uh, Pakistan uh, summer season. You were going to Broad Peak um, um, and others. And so uh, tell, briefly tell us, I understand that the Sherpas are not allowed to come into Pakistan. So your entire Sherpa support team, you know, couldn't go. What else was yeah. a consideration in that uh, Pakistan decision? That's one one point, the Sherpas at the moment can't travel to Pakistan. <coughs> the second point is, and it's totally understandable, Nepal has an export ban on oxygen. So it's not possible to ship oxygen equipment to Pakistan, which is oh, good. Yeah. Uh, so that's two main points that we need on our expeditions there on K2 and Broad Beak. But the third point is, that Pakistan is becoming the next hotspot for COVID after India and Nepal. Uh, the development is clear, you can see it. And uh, we don't want to make the same mistake as we did here. And that's maybe an important point. If we made a mistake on Everest uh, and I'm ready to blame myself, then it was the mistake to run the expedition because we could see this development 
could happen. There was a high risk that this is happening. And one of my colleagues, Adrian Ballinger, saw the risk and decided not to do it. And, and I already told him, Adrian, you have been so right with your decision. Uh, and we learned from this decision. We were <coughs> aware of the risk. The clients were aware of the risk. <coughs> we took the risk, but uh, it didn't turn out well for us. Uh, so you just took my last two. You took my last two questions there. One is in hindsight, what could you have done differently that would have changed this outcome? And then my last question is, uh, do you regret going in the first place? Yes, yes, I would not do it again with the same situation. And uh, do you think you would do it in hindsight? Is there anything that you could have done differently that would have changed this outcome? No, we were talking a lot about this the last two days. <coughs> have we done everything wrong and anything wrong? What could have we done better? And of course, we are not perfect. But I think under the given situation, we have done everything right, what we can in this setup here in a remote mountain place. We are not in a clinical environment. We are in a remote mountain place. That's an, a, a climbing base camp with 1,500 people. And every day, new people coming into this 1,500 people camp. People going out to Kathmandu, people going out to Namche and coming back into camp. And most of them are not doing any tests. And this is a development we could see two weeks ago. This is getting worse and worse. So I don't think we made anything particularly wrong here in, in camp, but I would not, in this situation and setup, I would not run the expedition again. Yeah, so that was my mistake in the first place. Yeah, there'll be, you know, there'll be the people out there that'll say, well, I told you so, you know, you could have seen this coming. Yes. Um, yeah, we, we, we know that we knew the risk. We didn't think we, that okay, there's no COVID here and there's no risk of COVID. We even talked about this topic with our clients before the expeditions. Yeah. So everybody was aware of the risk that either the government could end the season early or right. uh, the outbreak is getting so big that we have to end it. And now we are in a position, I, I told you before, I was waiting for other operators to do the, the yeah. call at the first place. Yeah. Nobody did. So at the end, I had to do it. And it, it's not easy, not only because of, of the clients are said uh, and, and the Sherpas. It's also because many other operators might be upset with me now, um, because all of them are aware of the situation, and all of them are aware of the legal and of the moral aspect of this situation. And my decision now puts, I guess a lot of pressure on them. And I hear from individual climbers now bailing out and, and leaving expeditions from their operators uh, because they get so much pressure from home, from their families. You can't stay there, you have to go home. So, but now that the really bad part for me is all the other operators stay, no one followed our decision. And, and I'm happy for them. And I, I wish them best of luck and a safe season. If everything goes, smooth and people some team summit and and nobody dies on covid on the mountain or in base camp <coughs> then yeah i'm the stupid guy yeah <laughs> uh, but i that's the way it is and i have to take this risk 
if just one single person is dying up there because of COVID, I'm happy with my decision. Lucas, I'm going to, um, we're going to close on that note. Uh, you're not a stupid person. You, um, I think you had uh, the best intentions at heart, both from getting back to Nepal to uh, bring commerce and, and work, you know, and income back into the country, all the way from the uh, climbing permit revenue to the government to, you know, the yak herders, the helicopter pilots, and of course, uh, the Sherpa staff, yours from Makalu region, um, you know, you de definitely brought a lot of money into the, into the, uh, into the region this season. I'm sad for you that it worked out this way. Um, I think you have to make your own decisions, which is clearly what you've done, and other people will make their decisions. And um, and I join you in sending our best to everybody on the mountain for a, a safe experience, whether they yeah. summit or not, uh, just having a safe experience and being able to have a safe travel back home. And of course, our best to uh, all the people in Nepal and India and now Pakistan, uh, as you mentioned, is bleeding over into Pakistan and probably Bangladesh. And I understand even Bhutan is getting a few, uh, getting an uptick as well. So, you know, this is spreading this variant. Um, this is, um, this is no joke. Um, so good luck to you breaking down base camp, uh, safe travels back home, my friend. And, uh, I know you'll hug your kids and your wife when you get back to uh, back to Austria. Thank you very much, Ellen. Take care. Okay.